Now this, this morning, that I want to look at, um, this is a rambulation. Okay? Now, I mentioned last week, I've heard that, I heard that from my father. I don't know how many times he'd, after church was over in the car going home, he'd say, well, that wasn't a revelation, it was a rambulation. Um, this, I can tell you ahead of time, is going to be a rambulation. Um, and I've touched on this subject, I suppose, at some point in my years of pastoring, but don't recall specifically looking at it. But um, I want to look at, with Election Day, Tuesday, and the ferment in our country, even down to states and counties, um, what does God have to say about the Christians' participation in and approach to um, government? So the first thing I want to look at is just a couple of questions, really. <clears throat> and then we'll look at some scriptures. There are two views regarding government as to when it began, when it was instituted. Some believe that government was brought in, instituted by the Lord after the fall. In other words, the fallenness of the human heart necessitated some kind of organization to curb depravity, to curb the, the inclinations of a wicked heart. Now that clearly ends up being part of the role of government. The depravity of the human heart can never, ever, ever be forgotten. It is chief and it is the leading issue, whether we recognize it consciously or not. Government has to do with curbing the impulses of wicked hearts. Okay? But there are two views among theologians then. Was it instituted after the fall or did God already institute some form of government in an in a embryonic form prior to the fall? I think it makes sense that he instituted a form of organized hierarchical government prior even to the fall. Government's role was completely changed by the fall. But initially, there seems to be a little bit of a hierarchy um, prior to the fall. And it was in the form of the family. The family is really the first social organization um, headed by, in this case, Adam, and we note that Adam was first created, and one little small hint is God, as far as 
prohibitions on the human race. Do this, don't do that. So permissiveness, what he permits, what he prohibits, was given to Adam, and through Adam it was given to Eve. That's a hierarchy. So there's a, I know these are faint hints, but you have um, the beginning of, a, of some kind of organized structure of authority, which you have to have. Now the fact that this is this question that I am putting or mentioned to you, when pre-fall, post-fall fall, is a big one. If it is pre-fall, it means that there's nothing sinful or wrong about government itself. You have to have some structure of authority because it's instituted prior to the fall. So even in a society, if it had lasted, if Adam and Eve had lasted in a pure-hearted, righteous condition, there still would have had to have been a structure of authority. So structure of authority is not bad in and of itself. Can it be abused? Of course. Can it be corrupted? Yeah, we know that because the fall occurred. So there is, a, there is within the family unit is the first view we have of some kind of authoritative structure. Okay? The only other institution that God really specifically created was the church. That's his, those are the two institutions of God, the family and the church. The church is properly, I think, looked upon as post-fall. The church is brought in. I still think there would have clearly been some kind of constant worship to God and so forth. But the church was necessitated because of sin entering. So that one is brought on. I don't know what kind of form, if any, very little, that we would have had there not been a fall regarding worship of God. But since there was a fall, the church became a necessity. And so the two institutions then that God brought in one pre-fall, the second post-fall. Now, if we look at a history, and biblical history is the best, but secular history too, you have a number of different forms of government. You have really the family, and out of the family comes, um, you could say the initial government would be household government. And then as population grew and societies and cities grow, then you go from individual household to tribe or maybe to clan and then to tribe, beyond tribe. Then you go to 
usually some form of chief or monarchy. If you look at biblical only, biblical history, you have really, in all these cases, you have a declining forms of government. Theocracy is the initial one. God ruled, and he ruled through the church, through the priesthood in the people of Israel. Then when that began to somewhat fall apart because of the depravity of human hearts, you had for a period of time, it was about 400 years, you have the judges. That was pretty scattered, poorly organized, but it was a foreshadow of, you could say, monarchy. When Israel asked for a king, given the attitude of their hearts, then God said specifically, he said, you've made a choice, you've rejected me, you rejected theocracy, and you've asked for a king. Now, I'm still going to be involved in it. I'm picking the king and so forth. But he said, you've rejected me. So theocracy really is the head government, the best, the perfect one. Lacking that, which always happens, then you go to monarchy. Monarchy ruled for millennia until societies grew large enough and people rebelled enough and then you begin to, the Greeks introduced really what they called uh, democracy. The Romans backed off a bit of that and went to um, a republic. And I'll give you some definitions on all that in just a second. And republics, forms of democracy, representative democracy, have lasted now for millennia still. When those begin to corrupt and collapse, which we're heading towards, really republic is better than democracy. People today, many people today who talk about democracy don't have any ideas they're talking about. But at any rate, democracy, when democracy corrupts, you have anarchy. And when you have anarchy, then you have, when that runs whatever course it runs, you have tyranny. You have to. Now, Israel quickly got, really, close to that when in the days before the judges every man did that which was right in his own eyes that's anarchy there, you, there is no protection for anybody we're looking over the precipice in our country at that but what brings us to that and what is the Treatment, if you want to look at it as, as a disease, what's the cause of the problem and what's the solution? 
we begin to get an idea of that from Scripture. I believe Jesus, when he was talking to the disciples, when he's walking here on earth, he, in his heart, of, God, of course, and mind, he knew the future. And some of the things he said about government to his disciples, which were very few and very rare, were preparatory for the spread of Christianity and the clash between Christians and pagan governments that he knew would occur. So, for instance, he said, when you're hauled in before kings, rulers, to give a defense for your faith, don't worry about it. He said, it'll be given in you. He says, don't think about it ahead of time. It will be given you in that very hour what to say because, he said, it is not you speaking. It is my Father, the Spirit of my Father who's in you. So, but be prepared. He indicates a hierarchy of authority when he says, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Render unto God what is God's. There's basically then, Jesus is acknowledging to us as Christians and as a church, we're under two separate forms of government. We're in, there are two kingdoms. Paul said our citizenship is in heaven. So the truth of the matter is, if we believe that, which we have to, we are sojourners, pilgrims, aliens. We're not from here. We aren't from here. Once we are translated by faith and repentance into the kingdom of Jesus, our citizenship's in heaven. And so the truth is we're living in enemy territory. This world is not a home to us. It's not a friend to us. The forces and the values of this world are meant and bent on rejecting God and rejecting His rule. That's really ancient. It started in the garden where mankind declared their independence from God. We'll run things. Thank you very much. We don't need you. Well, how's that worked out? Not too well. We are then living in two kingdoms. And they're, both of them are realms of authority. And to both of them, we are to submit. But when, not if... But when there is a clash between those two kingdoms, our obligation is to submit to God and not submit to man's government. The disciples, of course, now in this case, they were speaking to the Sanhedrin in the Jewish Supreme Court and Congress and everything were wrapped up in one. 
But when they told them, you stop preaching about this Jesus, resurrection, all that, we don't want to hear it anymore. Their response was, we ought to obey God rather than man. So there is a hierarchy, even though Jesus himself said, submit to the authorities. I may not have time to read the scripture, but Romans 13, 1, it's really pretty short. It's 1 through 5 or 6, but Paul is very strong there. Obey the powers that are over you. And he speaks to the fact that they are authorized by God and that they are to minister good to those who keep the law, and they are God's hand of vengeance upon those who don't obey the law. So punishment and so forth is delegated to them from God. He says we're to pay taxes because they give themselves to that. Now, here's, just, here's a rambulation. God has authorized, delegated, the authority of the state. It doesn't mean he endorses the individuals who head that up. Okay? For instance, the day that Paul wrote in Romans, you submit to the powers that be. Peter, nearly the same time. Honor the king. Who was it? We have to know this. Who was it? George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, roll up in one. No, it was Nero. We could be here till 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Nero. Nero was not only, I think, irredeemably reprobate, depraved, but that drove him to a form of depraved insanity. Married his horse, killed his mom and his sister, married a 21-year-old boy. He was insane. Yet, Paul said, obey the authorities. Now, so there's a fine line there. The authority, the place of structured authority is from God. Not necessarily the person who is pulling the strings and exercising that authority for their little lifespan. Okay? The, the, a distinction has to be made there. Because often the people who exercise that authority will try to stamp out worship will try to legislate even, or if they don't have a legislature, by, and it's a monarchy, by fiat, forbid worship, forbid practice of Christianity, we're not to obey that. That is God's delegated authority hijacked and corrupted, perverted, twisted. I don't have to honor that when there is an attempt to forbid God 
and his, his worship. Now, here's where I can't get off. We have to be very, very careful and honest and follow the Holy Spirit and Scripture because a lot of the times that we will say, I should serve God rather than man, it has to do with things that don't have anything to do with God. Meaning, you know, I don't need to pay taxes. I serve God rather than man. You'll be saying that from bars. Okay? And when Jesus said, give to Caesar what's Caesar, it was, they were looking at a coin. And they were talking about, and they, the question was, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Is it biblical? Jesus said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. And of course, the image, the, the metaphor that was going on there was the image of Caesar on the coin. Jesus is clearly implying the image of God is on you. You bear God's image. You give self. You give yourself to God because you're God's. Just like this coin has Caesar's image. That's his realm. So here again, Jesus points up two competing realms. Sometimes they're not competing. We've been blessed in our history to have at least Christian principles. The idea that we were, you know, every single person that founded the United States was a saved and sanctified walking with God is not true. We know that. But nevertheless, the core principles are biblical. What a privilege to be raised in a country like that. There's no country like that anywhere else. Much of Western civilization, of course, was based on Christianity after the collapse of Rome, the rise of the church. But we have grown accustomed. We've grown accustomed to government to a little bit of a degree being our ally. Government, the schools, the churches were often pushing the same values. I had coaches in high school that were just godless. But boy, they'd wrap us good if they overheard us using foul language. Why? Did they practice it themselves? No. But it was accepted. It was, it was a shared value. You don't talk like that. You go, I read this some time ago. Calvin Coolidge, who was professing Christian and of very few words, was supposedly at some gathering in the White House with a bunch of congressmen or whoever. And someone in the crowd that they were visiting with kind of looked around before telling a joke and said, are there any ladies present? Coolidge said no, but there's a gentleman present. So he didn't tell the joke, whoever this person was. The point is, at, a t at one time, to some degree, even if it was a facade, our government and our culture aided the 
progress of Christianity. It isn't that way anymore. I hate it. Sad that we're in that. Desperately sad that we're in that situation. But it's where we're at. And Jesus prepared us for that because he said as much as you can, you submit to the authorities even to unfairness. Okay? Even to unfairness. But when you when there is direct contradiction, you stop worshiping, whatever, that we are to resist. That we're not to kowtow to. Now, all this rambling brings me, I guess, <clears throat> to this, this thought. What is, what are we dealing with here? We face an election here. We face in our country today. The, the, we face stuff that even 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I didn't think we'd ever deal with. Um, it's, it's like the floodgates have been opened. What are we to do? What are we facing and how do we respond to it? Number one, what are we facing? We have to remember this. And I think, and I'll, I'll include myself here so that I'm not, you know, I'm not poking fingers at you guys. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But principalities and powers and newer translations say highly spiritualized wickedness. Okay? Now, we're, uh, we've got more conspiracy theories going on. Um, let me just tell you this. There's no human alive, no group of humans alive that could ever pull off the kind of conspiracy, morally spiritual depravity that we have going on here. There's no way that a bunch of humans could do it. There's a bunch of humans often unwittingly enlisted in it and are tools of it. But this comes from the enemy of our souls, the deceiver, the tempter. That, Revelation says, that old serpent, the devil. This is spiritual. This is not political. Our problems then really, political issues, are but symptoms of outbroken, less and less curbed depravity. The human heart is desperately wicked, Jeremiah said. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? The next verse says, I, the Lord, try the hearts. I know the heart. But nobody else knows the heart like God does. And he knows how desperate, wicked, and deceitful, he said, beyond anything on the earth is the human heart. That's the problem. It's the human heart stirred up by 
and dominated by the ancient enemy of our souls. That is, this is a spiritual warfare. Now, and I have to keep going here. So how do we respond to it? By the way, the Bible really has virtually nothing to say about how we function in our form of government. The whole New Testament and the whole Old Testament was tribal chiefs, kings. There was, there was no mention of democracy, of voting. People didn't have, they didn't have that right. They didn't have to worry about it. It was do what the king says or he'll lop your head off. So there's, we, it, to a degree, there's some of the things in Scripture, there's only a few references that help us. How do we respond here? What do we do? First of all, we have to remember who the enemy is. Now, I can't get too far into this. Um, even though I am 99% sure, and I, I know this is being taped, and I hope I don't get arrested or the IRS doesn't come after us. Even though I'm 99% sure that the devil really is in the form of the Democrats, but it's not the Democrats. The Democrats are not our enemies. The Republicans are not the enemies. And let me maybe jump to my final point. The Democrats and the Republicans are not the solution. This is not a political war. It's spiritual. Now, here's where I think I had to be careful myself. I've always been a news junkie. Always. I just, I don't know why, I just am. The bad thing is, sometimes I'll read the news early in the morning before I read and pray. Then my devotional time is nothing but digging myself out of a hole. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you just think, dear God. And of course, I, I go back, I think, man, Lord, I wish you'd unlimber every gun you've got and there would just be bodies everywhere. Then I think, okay, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Okay, so I got to back off of that. Then I got to remember, God's leading this entire world since creation and the fall. God has a specific plan, and he's moving all of history to that conclusion. And what God does tell us in the Bible about that move and that conclusion, it's not going to be fun. It's going to be hellacious. So then I think, okay, Lord, if you, you know, if you strike dead a bunch of certain people that are running for, for the Senate, so we can take back the Senate, we've solved nothing. We haven't changed hearts. The only solution, the only solution is transformed hearts. 
Therefore, and I'm, again, I'm not pointing my fingers, I'm as bad off, because I, I think of all kinds of things that I wish God would do, and he won't check with me. And sometimes he lets it go and lets it go and lets it go and lets it go. Listen, things were so bad before the flood that it called for the flood. He said, I've got to kill everybody. <laughs> but eight. Boy, you talk about God taking some action. It took him a while. He let it go, and then he said, I'm going to give him another 120 years. I'm thinking, what? <laughs> Pull the trigger. But he's not willing that any perish. Again, not being publicly um, divulging confidences, but the Kelly's mom gave her heart to Jesus after 94 years of her neck stiff and her feet stuck out. But God finally got to her. That's what matters to God. So he, that's why he's slow on the trigger. We're, we don't know what we're talking about. He sees everything. So I've even prayed at times, Lord, if I ask you to write things and straighten stuff up and, you know, fill some graveyards with some people, it might do nothing. It won't fix a problem. I at least know that. It might just delay the end of the world and the rapture and us getting to heaven and getting out of here. So do I really want God to do what I want to do? Or maybe I ought to just say, Lord, thy will be done. Since last I checked, he's fairly smart. He knows what to do. Here's where I think then, what I feel has been on my heart for a while. As we see all of this tide rising, we can splinter, we can get to picking at each other, we can disagree on how we're supposed to fix this, and it's not fixable. Because it's spiritual. Voting is fixing. Now, I'm, and I don't have the time. I'm not saying that we don't get involved. I'm not saying that. But the fervor, the energy, the angst, the obsession that we can end up pouring into all of this, and we've got to do this, we've got to do that, we've got to get voted on, I've got to go door, you know. Wait a minute. Yes, participate. Pray like mad. Vote. But it doesn't fix anything. In the end. Because that's not where the fight's at. Let me give you these illustrations and I gotta quit. And you'll know when you get when we get done what a real rambulation looks like. What did Jesus want to do? What did he come to this world to do? Get a hold of us draws to him. How do you do that? Well, the devil said, I'll tell you one way you can do it. Feed everybody. Turn these stones into bread. Minister to, you know, prosperity. Do that. Jesus said, no. 
We don't live by bread, physical bread. We live by the word of God. Next thing, well, why don't you dive off of one of the pinnacles of the temple, which was, you know, 90, 100 feet high. Do something spectacular, miraculous. Humans love that kind of stuff. That'll get, your, that'll get them drawn to you. You'll get their attention. That's what you want. Jesus knew that we're such poor, spectacular, glittery, drawn people that he'd, what would he have to do? He'd have to top that the next day because that's the way we are. So we can't go that route. But here's the last thing. This is the last temptation the devil offered to Jesus. Took him up, it says, to a high mountain. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I'll give you, first of all, it was a total lie. He said, all of this, I give it to whomever I will. Well, that's nonsense. God said, I set up one, I put down another. So the devil's lying to Jesus as if that would work. But he said, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all this governmental power. And through that governmental power, you can accomplish your kingdom goals. No, sir. Doesn't work that way. Jesus, and at that point, Jesus said, go. It's written, man shall serve the Lord only. It's, I think it's significant that the allure has always been to Christians and to the church to accomplish Christian ends by gaining civil authority. Started, it started actually from the success of the Christian church. First, second century, into the very beginning, 303 was the last really bad persecutions. But Constantine, early 300, became a Christian, and from then on, we bought that temptation. I'll give you all, I'll give you, Lord Jesus, you can accomplish your end if we get the power and the levers of government. But it's a lie, because that's not the problem. Am I making any sense? So we can very easily be seduced. I can. And I hope, <clears throat> I hope I, I, I'll just confess, I'll be up Tuesday night. And I'll either be laying awake night, <laughs> Tuesday night, or, you know, I'll be running the streets of Gillette and drinking. But, you know, boy, we won. But I have to tell myself, it doesn't fix the problem. Because the problem's in here. The second illustration, so Jesus' temptation tells us a lot, and Jesus' triumphal entry tells us a lot. When Jesus went into Jerusalem, the people said, Lord, save us. Were they saying, save us by going to Calvary and spilling your blood and forgiving our sins? No. No. We all know what they were saying. Save us from the government. Save us from the 
Roman soldiers that are on every corner because we're occupied and we, we are under the fist of Caesar. Save us governmentally. And what did Jesus do? He didn't pay attention to any of it. And where did he go? Well, he went straight to Congress. No. He went to the church. He went to the temple. He went to the moral center and core and heart of Israel, which was rotten. And what did he do? Tore the place up. Now, I don't know whether Jesus had anger issues or not, needed some kind of anger management. If you read clearly, and the original language is very clear, he tore the place up. And he stood outside, the meek, mild-mannered Jesus stood outside and wove himself a whip. And it's clear in the original languages, he not only used the whip on the sheep and on the cattle, but on the people. He whacked some people and drove them out. He said, you have turned my house into a den of thieves. It's meant to be a place where you met with God and you've polluted it. Again, he never bothered with government. He knew the heart was the issue. I am already over. I might well, might as well just sin another minute. The best illustration we have in history is in the latter decades of the 1700s. You had England, you had France, in total ferment, king mob ruled, one historian said, in England. It was a mess. Across the channel in France, the French Revolution began, cut the head of the king off, blood flowed in the streets, the guillotine was invented, and the people that started the French Revolution and invented the guillotine ended up getting it. It ate them alive. Forty miles away, telling you this is God, forty miles across the channel, there were two brothers, John and Charles Wesley. And they got right with God. They were both priests in the Church of England and didn't know God. Never weren't even saved. Within a week of each other, they both got saved. Charles Wesley, the day he got saved, wrote that great hymn, And Can It Be? And those two brothers started preaching in 1739. And God brought a revival in England while a revolution was going across, going on across the channel. And even to this day, though, you know, that, the effects of that seem so long, gone. Nevertheless, there's the parallel. Revival's what we have to have. And without it, I don't care who gets elected. It won't matter. We have to have God. So let's keep our attention on that. Participate where we can wonderful to have Christian office holders. I'm for it. believe God is. But it's only a temporary retardation and speed bump 
to the depravity unless hearts are changed. Well, I commit that rambulation to you. <clears throat> Let's pray. Dan, if you'll pray and dismiss, disperse quickly so they think I let you out earlier. Father in heaven, this morning I want to thank you for laying these thoughts on our pastor's heart to remind us of the importance of what we face in this world on this side of heaven, that we are not citizens of this place, that I just pray, Lord, that I guess simply put, as it was mentioned during this message, that this is a matter of the heart. So help us to seek you, to draw near to you, that you would work on our hearts so that we would keep in mind that we have the answer to all of this as Christians. And it does not come in a vote. It comes in a choice. And that choice is salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So help us to choose you today. And then from there, we walk about this fallen world as light in a very dark situation, making choices and, and decisions by your grace to your glory. Help us to be that church going forward in this, um, again, in this fallen world. No, we love you, Lord. Uh, minister to our hearts. Help us to know what it is you would have us to remember from this message today as we go forth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. You're dismissed. Have a great day, everyone.